And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Celebrating our two favorite things in life, and of course that's college football and pepper-crusted bacon. It is another edition of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Mike Morgan, ESPN, SEC Network, J.C. Sherbert, 24-7 Sports, uh, BigSpur.com, one of the wisest, most vastly intellectually sound men in college football, J.C. Sherbert, uh, coming to you. Uh, I guess you're in the Windy City because you're wearing a sweatshirt, as I can see. Yeah. Uh, I'm coming to you from from uh, Palm Beach County, so I'm wearing a T-shirt. In fact, you know, eventually, as this thing continues to grow, I think this is like episode 121 of this podcast, J.C., mm-hmm. eventually we'll have a producer like some of the other ones have that pretty much spoon-feed their hosts a bunch of stuff. We don't have that. We're like a garage band, you know, we're like in, in honor of now the late Eddie Van Halen, we're Van Halen when they were opening up for the Ramones in terms of, you know, technical uh, support here. We don't have a, a group of producers and guys at our beck and call to do this. The other thing is eventually JC uh, and you and I have both been on a couple of shows that do video feeds like uh, uh, JB and Goldwater up there in Charleston where they actually broadcast it live video wise so that you can see our charming faces when we're on there. I I know yours was on yesterday. I saw some of that at the beach, Uh, but we don't have that yet. So, so I like, I like to paint a picture going back to my radio days. Uh, You're wearing a Navy. Is that, is that gray or Navy blue? What is that? It's gray. It's gray with Navy blue lettering. Okay. And is that Burns? Burns High School football, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, home, of the, home of the Rebels, Duncan, South Carolina, my alma mater. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I picked this up. I actually did some sideline. It's the only time in my life I've ever done sideline and probably the only time I ever will uh, for their radio crew back in 2016. Um, I'd love a copy of those tapes. Picked this up, uh, you know. It was uh, and my one of my best friends from high school was the head coach at the time, and they had a really bad year. They went three and eight, and so it got so awkward having to interview him after those losses, and he ended up losing his job. And it was just, I think my presence there was just bad luck for the Burns Rebels, and uh, and so we have it. But yeah, I picked this up at a game one night when it was. You know, on the cooler side down in upstate South Carolina. There you go. Well, I am wearing one of my favorite T-shirts, and it's green. It's like a neon green. And I got this back in April after flying back to the Atlanta airport, which had like seven people in it. Um, And there we were wearing our masks and our gloves and walking through a ghost town, what is normally the busiest airport in the world. And everything in the gift shop that said like this t-shirt does final four atlanta 2020 remember we were supposed to have a final four in atlanta <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> so i got this for like 65 percent off uh they weren't exactly selling a whole lot of those for a final four that never took place in an airport that was nearly completely empty good good time to bargain shop if you're thinking about that so uh yeah that'll paint the picture for you uh you you've got you always have you always have this big uh sunlight backdrop which means you're you look like you're broadcasting in the dark 
Yeah. We, we gotta we gotta go through a little TV lighting course for you. We, we'd have to change that, sure. When uh, and I have to yeah. move, I have to move my computer when I'm on JB and Goldwater because of that. Because I look like I'm like a shadow talking. Like, let's go to the shadow. Yeah. And I'm like, hello, you know. But um, right, yeah, it's uh, it, it's you know, for these purposes, since we don't have to do video right now, right? Uh, I'm not lighted, but certainly. Um, well, I used to have some lights, but, um, I, I can go pick some up. And, uh, if we ever get to the point where we're streaming live, I guarantee you, uh, I probably won't have a well shirt and be well lit, well lit. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you still, it doesn't, I mean, you can still wear whatever you want. I'm still going to wear a t-shirt. Even if we, uh, <laughs> video streaming, I'm still going to have a little scruff. You know, this is not, I had to wear a, a suit Saturday or Friday, I guess it was in Winston-Salem for a broadcast. Um, you know, and it's, it's good to be, uh, back in the fold from that standpoint. I, it's, it's so funny. Um, we could do a whole segment on this, but I, I, I try to pick out my favorite. We should do this every week. Uh, you know, we're now in October and as we know, um, Everybody is going to play football or is playing college football. We have the Big Ten beginning in a, in a week and a half, October 24th, uh, as well as the Mountain West. And then, you know, uh, eventually the, the MAC. We're going to have MACTION, midweek MACTION, by the way. Those first three weeks of the MAC, a whole lot of Tuesday, Wednesday night affairs. So it's back. And of course, the Pac 12 will be uh, the last one on board in, uh, in November. But we're, we're getting back to normal. But it, it, you know, it seems like, and of course, when I say normal, I put that in quotation marks. We're still having positive tests. We've got NFL games now being postponed. We've got uh, uh, some, uh, some college football games that have been postponed, as we know. We never thought it was going to be 100% smooth operation. But let me take you back to July 11th. And this could be any of the, you know, to, to use, I'll borrow a phrase, Corona bros that uh, were out there uh, from the mountaintops screaming that we should not have college football and, of course, bringing injecting politics any way they possibly can into it. This is from Darren Ravel, who somehow has like millions of Twitter followers. Uh, there's different theories on that. But I, I don't know, Darren. I don't really care to know Darren. Um, he, he, he's. I don't know exactly what Darren does. He'll post like an interesting thing. Like this is what a ticket to a kiss, a kiss concert cost in 1976. And I'll have a picture of it. That's, I think that's Darren's main MO. It's a kind of like a money guy, a money in sports and collectible type guy anyway. But he was very, you know, he was very adamant like so many others, his very strong opinions on whether or not college football should take place. July 11th, 2020 to his uh, 20 million followers. Many SEC fans wanted their states and their economy open and their right to not wear a mask. How's your football season now looking now, guys? Huh? That's what he tweeted out. So I got to give Barrett Salee credit. Barrett's a writer for CBS Sports, also lives in Atlanta. And uh, this was from like 10 days ago. He, tweet, he retweeted Darren's tweet from July 11th and said... All 10 FBS conferences either are playing or announced that they are playing. Going pretty well, Darren. Thank you. So, <laughs> but I just, just, 
it's easy to forget all these people. And, and look, I don't know. Darren, Darren is, I'm not trying to pile on Darren. Uh, he's not considered a college football expert, but he's obviously, you know, he, he has a voice and he has a lot of followers, but we know some of the main people that spent uh, the better part of the summer telling you there shouldn't be a college football season, uh, seemingly rejoicing over every tidbit of news that was leaning that way. And now going back to normal and just kind of doing their job and just reporting on stories and coaches and, and whatnot. And uh, conveniently forgetting the fact that they predicted doom. This thing hasn't been perfect by any means, but it's going pretty damn good. And by the way, we got a major league baseball postseason that's going pretty damn good. Remember when the, the Marlins had those positive tests? Well, they're in a series now in the NLDS against the Braves. Probably going to lose, go Braves. But still, um, everything, everything there, the NFL, yeah, like it's a big story. Cam Newton tested positive. You know what? The NFL is going to go on, and we're going to have a, continue to have a good regular season and a postseason and a playoffs. The NHL can uh, finish their uh, postseason, and the NBA Finals is taking place. I know uh, the ratings are down, but uh, it's taking place. And Anthony Davis and his Los Angeles Lakers are probably going to win a title here in a few days. Uh, and LeBron will get a ring too. But um, the, my point is, is that it, it, don't, don't forget those people who told you this was a stupid idea. It was unconscionable to even be thinking about playing football this fall in 2020. We are, and we're thankful for it. Uh, and it hasn't caused mass casualties and all the doomsday scenarios like some type of sci-fi movie that was being written in Hollywood. Uh, it's gone off, not flawlessly, but it has gone off rather well. And for that, we say thank you. Yeah, and, and you know, just like I, I've contended from the start, I think when you're in the middle of a pandemic like this, if you're talking about safety and you're talking about, you know, quarantining and social distancing and, and all the things that, you know, people talk about it's much easier to be part of a, a team where those are policies and all that than to depend on, you know, personal responsibility uh, in a lot of ways for college kids. And that was the backward thinking, I think, of the whole thing was, you know, this is dangerous because this is this and this is that. Well, I think it's more dangerous at home because you're talking about a variety of uh, socioeconomic conditions at home. You're talking about different parts of the country at home. You're talking about different neighborhoods. And, and, and you know, it's, I mean, it's just uh, I think it's going well. And, yeah, you're right. You know, there were going to be some games postponed. And, and I think the good news, if you're a, a Corona bro, like you said, is that, you know, the college programs are taking this seriously. You know, when, when they have outbreaks or something like that, they're, they're getting together they're working to reschedule, they're working to postpone, they're quarantining. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody's taking it cavalier, you know, in terms of coaches and administrators and the, the decision makers in college football, because they all want to get a season in. And I think that's something that if you're, you know, you were concerned, you know, you probably should have a little more faith uh, in the institutions that, that, that actually manage the game from week to week. Uh, that they were going to do the right thing. And I, and I think that's a positive deal uh, all the way around. I think, you know, you look at it, the NHL, the, the Lightning won the Stanley Cup. You know, like you said, the Lakers are probably going to go on and win. Um, we, we're going to have a World Series, you know. Uh, 
baseball's advancing and um you know the NFL will have some challenges but they'll uh you know they'll end up um you know making it work I think at the end of the day so you know hats off to everybody involved um you know we've had two full weekends of SEC football so far the other leagues are playing and um you know so far so good you know to Darren Ravel's comment specifically you know we haven't had any corona uh, postponements in the SEC or any breakouts or anything. Uh, you know, there may be a game move because of a hurricane, <laughs> but uh, but that's really the yeah. only possible, yeah. you know, and there was LSU's game got moved to Columbia, Missouri, and they're talking about Alabama Ole Miss this weekend, maybe moving or playing on another day. So, you know, the, the weather has been more of an issue than uh, than Corona so far, knock on wood, for the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, and uh, speaking of Louisiana, Louisiana, the the Raging Cajuns are certainly relevant this year, and they've got a coach who's going to be very relevant in the free market uh, by the end of the season. In all likelihood, their game against Coastal Carolina postponed till Wednesday night uh, because, again, of, of the threat of a hurricane. Which you know, again, thoughts and prayers to everybody in in the Gulf and Louisiana. It seems like. Uh, it's, it's not fair for some of the same areas to be routinely hit, but that's, that's just the way it is. Uh, unfortunately, for, for years and years, uh, as someone who spent a lot of time in South Florida, again, the same areas were always under, uh, warning or watches and very often it turned out to be nothing, but it's just, if you're going to live in certain areas, that is part of the deal. Um, it's always going to be part of, of the landscape. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'll add one more thing on that too. I think the pandemic, you know, obviously is not a good thing, but uh, I, I think previously in certain situations like this Alabama Ole Miss thing, and, and I'll even uh, South Carolina Vanderbilt, because the storm is supposed to come into Nashville. Um, it'll probably be just be rain by then. But, you know, previously teams were like quick to reschedule, quick to move that type of thing, not so much because you can't play football in a, in the downpour because that's the great thing about football. You're supposed to play it in any weather. Right. But you know, what happens is, is, is you have all these massive amounts of first responders and cops and highway patrol and security uh, and, and first aid people and whoever that work for a full crowd of 80,000. Um, and, and those resources would get strained. And so they're like, well, we got to move the game. Well, in this situation, like like South Carolina Vanderbilt, they're like, well, we may move it. And then they're like, eh, there's no fans allowed in the stadium in Nashville anyway. So, you know, it's, well, you know, you're just kind of not worried about it um, at that point, as long as the players are going to be safe out there on the wet field. And I think the same is true with Ole Miss and Bama. I think, you know, if it's just going to be rain uh, and it's going to be safe, no lightning, nothing like that, you know, you're not having to deal with 60,000 people converging on Oxford, Mississippi, um, it's more like what 10 and so uh, you can get it in so I think with this reduced crowd and all that that we're going through right now at least anywhere outside of the state of Florida at the moment um, you know we're going to be able to I think get games in during bad weather uh, more easily than maybe they would when you know they had to move LSU Florida a couple of years ago and all that yeah it's funny uh, too that you know, there, there's so much versatility in the college schedule compared to the NFL. And yet 
they're still not budging on the playoff dates. I mean, that's in the, they're certainly not budging on expansion. I mean, those that got their hopes up thinking, well, this would be the great, the ultimate excuse to expand to eight or however many, uh, because you could do it in the name of, of COVID. And even if it goes against the contract and against the grain and against what Bill Hancock and everything, everybody else tells you it, it should stay the way it is. It, it's not, it's not changing. I mean, we're here in, in going on mid October, uh, it's going to be a 14 playoff and barring something catastrophic, uh, due to COVID the, the dates are going to remain the same. And so that flexibility, so really that, you know, that cutoff date that you, uh, that you hear so much about in December where everybody is seeing me that weekend, where everybody's playing their, their conference championship games, December 19th, that, that doesn't appear to be moving and neither does the, uh, overall framework of the college football playoff. He is JC Sherbert. I am Mike Morgan. You're listening to JC and Morgan. We got a lot to get to. Um, JC touched on one of the games coming up and that's going to get a lot of attention just because Lane Kiffin, Nick Saban, that dynamic. But honestly, that's not even one of the top two games in my estimation in the SEC. I mean, I don't expect Ole Miss with that defense to put up much of a fight against Alabama. So once you get past the fact that Lane Kiffin, you know, he gave a few good quotes on the Dan Patrick show the other day. Uh, He's going to, he's going to wear a very uh, nice uh, decked out suit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Almost, almost BP Skinner quality, but uh, you know, so, and and Lane's got swag and Lane's got the, and and he got the big win uh, against Kentucky. Thanks in large part to a running back flashing up deuces before he gets up to the, gets to the end zone. That's, I don't know. It's <laughs> I I know it's a college kid, so we're not supposed to be overly critical. But come on, guys! I mean, wow. it's it's just a dumb thing to do in in the NFL, in college, in high school. Do whatever you want when you get to the end zone. But my goodness, why are you costing your team games by fumbling the ball just because you feel so inclined? to either slow down near the end zone or flash up signs near the end zone. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's a, a kid from Abilene Christian did it. A kid from Abilene Christian did the same thing. Goodness. Uh, uh, so I, I don't know when that became cool or flashy. Don't tell me it's a cultural thing. Don't tell me I don't get it. It's just stupid. It's flat out stupid to do it. And then the same kid, I'm not going to name his name because I don't want to pile on the same kid on the drive. They get to, he gets them to the one and he fumbles it at the goal line. That was a gift wrap uh, package for one lane Kiffin, not to take any, anything away from him and Ole Miss, but Kentucky really should have won that game. So Ole Miss gets a win. And, and so Lane Kiffin has some momentum. And again, that's, that's sexy from a coaching personality storyline. And we get the same old narrative. Will this be the year that a former Nick Saban assistant coach beats Nick Saban? And of course, the answer is almost always no. Uh, But uh, JC, I'll just say this real quick. That to me is not even the top. The top two games are Texas A&M, Florida and Georgia, Tennessee. I'm more concerned about watching those than I am. Alabama Ole Miss. Yeah, speaking of former – so Saban's got the former assistant three weeks in a row because he's got Kirby Smart the next week. And, yeah, if I had to put my money on who would break it, the streak, I would put my money on Kirby because he's been the closest. But Jimbo obviously yeah. 
was not that close last week. Um, and, and look, I think this Texas A&M Florida game's big for the Aggies. Um, I got a chance to watch Florida quite a bit last week against South Carolina. Watched them against Ole Miss. Uh, I'll again say for those of you that may have missed it, uh, this is the most skill talent they've had since the Urban Meyer era um, on offense. Uh, I think their defense is not bad. I think. South Carolina presents some challenges with sort of how they run some ball control and things like that. And Ole Miss, of course, is a good offensive team. Don't be fooled by the stats. You know, I, I thought A&M showed some life at times offensively on Saturday, but, boy, the defense just got rocked. Uh, and that's got to be scary if you're the Aggies going in against a Florida team that is probably not as good as Alabama offensively, but I'd rank them number two in the league right now. Uh, in terms of offense, I think that, you know, in terms of talent, speed, scheme, the things you all put together to say this is a great offense, you know, Florida would rank right behind Alabama for me. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the number that you keep hearing uh, whenever A&M loses these days is 75 million. Uh, and that's tough to, you know, there's an old saying to who much is given, much is expected. And, um this may not be Texas A&M's breakthrough year like we all thought, but, you know, you lose to Florida and you go one and two now and you got some other tough games left, you know, you're, you're kind of sitting there looking at maybe five and five or something like that. And, um, you know, so it's a big game for the Aggies out in College Station. <clears throat> and it's going to be intriguing to see if Florida can keep it going because I think they've been really hot offensively the first two weeks. And, um if they can keep it going there, I think that's a good sign as they move forward in this season to try to challenge Georgia in the SEC East. Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts might be the most uncomfortable player in college football. Yeah. I, I, and I think – and to think Kadarius Tony is coming along. Yes, and Trevon, Trevon Grimes, Trevon Grimes, a former five-star who left Ohio State because he couldn't do much and hadn't really done a whole lot in his career. He's starting to learn that body control, big six-five guy can get it done. Uh, I think they're, they've got – you know, it's kind of running back by committee, uh, but they do a good job eking out rushing yards. I think their offensive line is better than expected. Uh, and, and then you got, you know, the, the scheme and the offense and that's, it's always been tough to defend, but it's really tough to defend when it has personnel. But for a coach that so-called can't recruit, Dan Mullen seems to have some talent in Gainesville. Yeah. I mean, it, but that's why people, you know, over, they over, you know, they look at Florida and they're like, Oh, Florida's only ranked 12th in the team recruiting rankings. And people don't understand. There's not a ton of difference between if you, even if you look at the numbers and you say, okay, you know, for, the formula says they're, you know, it's, you're talking about fractions of points in the team recruiting ranking. So the difference between seventh and 12th is maybe one player that one network has ranked higher than the other. So it's a matter of one group. So, I mean, it, it's really that close. And so I think there's been a big miss, you know, miss, can, you know, misconception that Florida doesn't recruit that well. Uh, they just don't have the big pretty number by the team rankings that everybody likes. But there's so much talent in the state of Florida, Mike. And then, you know, when you go into t- to Pennsylvania and get a guy like Kyle Pitts and swipe him away from James Franklin, I mean, you know, that guy's going to be able to play. And, and I'll say Pitts was a highly rated recruit. He was a, like a low four-star. Um, so people recognize that. But, but that kid's really gotten to where he's at because of hard work. I mean, you, you read his story and how hard he worked over the summer to be the best tight end in college football, which I think he is right now. Uh, 
I'll tell you, going back to A&M, who now in three years under Jimbo has lost to Alabama each time by over 20 points. So in a lot of ways, I'm sure some A&M fans are saying, this seems like the same old song to me. Uh, Kellen Mond seems like the same quarterback to me. Didn't play terribly, but I don't see... I don't see this great ascension into an elite guy, which is what a lot of people were were banking on this year. Now the season's still young and it was Alabama, but you know, I had him against Vanderbilt the week before that. And it definitely was not a good game for Kellen Monty. He couldn't hold on to the football and they struggled to beat Vanderbilt in the fourth quarter. This is, this is not me um, piling on Jimbo Jimbo Fisher. Look at the end of the day, I hate when people say that and I just did it. He did win a national title. He's one of the few people coaching college football that has a national championship ring. I would not say his tenure at Florida state was outstanding. Now compared to the, <laughs> compared to what they've turned into since. Oh yeah. But he didn't end He didn't leave it in fantastic shape. And uh, when he, when he got to Texas A&M, obviously there were high expectations. That was not a complete rebuild. Say what you want about Kevin Sumlin. They did recruit. He did walk into a situation that had talent. Um, and not to mention he had Kellen Mond, but when I look at the best college football coach for my money, regard, forget about age. Okay. Cause I know everybody likes the young guy, right? We, the, the young guy is always the flavor of the month to me, the best coach in the Lone Star state. It's not Jimbo Fisher. It's not Tom Herman. It's not Dana Holgerson. Uh, let's see. Uh, Baylor. I mean, they've got a first year guy. Obviously. David Randa. Uh, yeah, yeah. Replacing Matt Rule. I, I, for me, it's still Gary Patterson. <laughs> TCU should not be doing what they're doing overall. And I know that you know they've they've slipped a little bit since the Rose bowl years of as coming in as a mountain West team. I mean, they went from what conference USA to mountain West to finally got in the big 12. And then people thought they'd be humbled in the big 12, but oh, oh, wait a minute, they're not. And if we actually had a, um, a different system at the time when it was them and Baylor TCU probably would have been in a playoff uh, under Gary Patterson as a big 12 team. And then they had a couple of down years. Then this all season, you know, you, you, you had, uh, a, a situation. I won't even get into that whole story, but you had some people that during that time frame, fire this guy, fire that guy, cancel this guy, cancel that guy. Um, which, which was ridiculous in terms of Gary Patterson. If you really know all the details of that story, but Gary Patterson is now six and two against Texas since joining the big 12. Let me repeat that. TCU is six and two against the mighty Texas Longhorns since joining the Big 12 with head coach Gary Patterson. Uh, and Texas has a – and we're going to get into more of the, the slate this Saturday coming up. Texas has a a huge game with Oklahoma. Now, I know the the, the Red, Red River rivalry or shootout or whatever politically correct term we can call it these days, uh, I think Dennis Dodd wrote a piece calling it something like the, the red rivalry regression or the red rivalry, something or other. Um, he, he believes that, the, yeah, the red river recession is what he called it. Ah. Dennis, Dennis Dodd, by the way, another one of the many that uh, 
told you that college football shouldn't happen this year and and went out of his way on Paul Feinbaum to say if the Big Ten plays football, I don't want I don't want to give Donald Trump any credit. Nobody's asking you to give him any credit. Um, anyway, the the point is what the article is, and I, I think it's, it's he's, he's a good writer. It points out well that that game is not what it should be. And the Big 12 continues to regress. It wasn't bad enough going 0-3 against the Sun Belt in week one. Oklahoma is 0-2 in the Big 12. you got to go back to the mighty Blake era to find the last time that happened. Uh, Texas loses another disappointing game. I mean, the Big 12 is basically done. They have opted out of the college football playoff, if you will. They're not going in. Yes, I'm declaring that on October 8th. And no, I'm not a Big 12 hater. I'd love to see the Big 12 be better. But you got to do better. Uh, but the, it's just where it is. But Tom Herman, if Tom Herman does not win this game, JC, I mean, is this a referendum on Tom Herman's future there? Tom Herman was the – I'm trying to think. Maybe you can help me. I'm sorry I'm scatterbrained today, but I'm all, I just I got a million thoughts going through my head. Uh, Tom Herman, when he was at Houston, I can't recall a non-Power 5 coach being such a hot commodity. It was the the ultimate slam dunk hire for some Power 5 school. Now, South Carolina did everything they could to get him, couldn't get him. He he knew Texas was going to open up. Charlie Strong was going nowhere. Uh, LSU was convinced under Joe Oliva they could get him, but Joe Oliva was not going to get into a bidding war with Texas because how many schools won a bidding war with Texas? Uh, not to mention Joe Oliva had some other things he had to take care of over there in Baton Rouge before uh, he moved on. So, but t- can you think of a guy at a Group Five school or a non-Power Five school that was any hotter from a stock standpoint than Tom Herman a few years ago? And then we can talk about what he has not done at Texas. I'm stunned, uh, you know, and I, and it's, you know, because he, you think about what he did at Ohio State as the offensive coordinator, taking a third-string quarterback, winning against the odds. And then at Houston, now I'll say this, there were some red flags at Houston that maybe people didn't pick up on. Um, and I'll give you an example. They, you know, they they had some really good years, right? Um, two years under him. But, you know, you go and you look at the 2015 team, right? And this is the team that beat Louisville and Lamar Jackson. Uh, this is the team that won the league, went through their league. And then you look and you see, well, they went 13-1. and one. They beat Florida State in a bowl. You know, they won their conference championship and all that. And then you go back and look and, and you're like, well, where was the loss? Well, it was to UConn. <laughs> at UConn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so you're like, well, that's a head scratch. Well, then the next year, and he only had two years worth it, you know, you kind of look at it and you're like, well, um, where was the nine and three? And you started the season ranked sixth in the country, beat Oklahoma in, 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 in the, the, the NRG stadium and the kickoff and you're rolling right along. And then up, oh, you lost to Navy. Well, sometimes teams lose to Navy that happens. Well, you know, where's that next loss coming from? Well, you lost to SMU and Chad Morris by 22 points on the road. 
And so there were some red flag games, and his career at Texas has gone similarly, Mike. You know, they'll get up off the mat and beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl or win the Oklahoma game, you know, like he did in his second year. And then there's these inexplicable losses to teams they have no business losing to. And that was, quite frankly, a hallmark of the Charlie Strong era. Charlie Strong had some big wins. He, You know, he could go beat Oklahoma, and then he'd turn around and lose to Kansas. Um, and, and that's the problem with Texas right now is that they just, you know, every time we think that they're turning the corner, they're not. I mean, he's 27 and 16 in four years, and I'm shocked they're not better. I mean, I really, really am shocked. Recruiting's going well. It's Texas. You're in the Big 12. You know, you just, I mean, and, and, and hats off to Gary Patterson. He's one of my favorite coaches, but. I mean, you, you have no business having to come from behind and beat Texas Tech like you did and then losing to TCU at home the next week, uh, especially if you turn around and beat Oklahoma. And they, and I'm sorry that, you know, I talked to some people close to the Texas program and they're kind of like, here we go again. We're going to have another coaching change. Now they're convinced Urban Meyer is going to come in there, uh, which I, you know, I don't think, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, I think you'd have a better chance of hiring Gary Patterson. I mean, that would be the guy that, you know, I mean, I, I, they probably should have hired Gary Patterson or tried to hire Gary Patterson a long time ago. But mm-hmm. uh, I just, uh, you know, it, it's just one of those things. I, I'm, I'm shocked. I am shocked that um, there goes Alexa whenever I get to recording. Like, like Hello, said, Alexa. We, we don't have Buy my uh, keys. I, I'll get to go on the mic and it's like, hey, you know. Um, and I'm shocked because, I, you know, if you'd have told me, you know, Tom Herman's going to go to Texas and in four years we're going to be talking about his job security, I, I would have said no. Same with Jim Harbaugh going to Michigan, which at least Harbaugh, you know, I said he'd probably be in the playoff in three years. At least Harbaugh was a game away from getting there, you know. Right. He doesn't lose to Ohio State that year. Michigan's probably in. So, I, you know, it, it, it's sort of shocking to me because I, I, for the life of me, I mean, Tom Herman checked all the boxes, um, and I, I don't really know, you know, what the answer is at Texas right now other than that program is squarely in the wilderness. I think they got in the wilderness in the latter part of the Mac Brown era after 2008 when they, um, you know, lost the championship game, uh, or 2009, rather, lost the championship game to Alabama from that moment till now, this is a program in Texas that's been def- definitely in the wilderness. I'm not going to say the abyss because they haven't been awful, but for their standards, they are in the wilderness. And, you know, after you go hire a Tom Herman, I mean, how do you, where do you go from there unless you do, do go make a hire like an Urban Meyer or something? So I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is other than go beat Oklahoma and win out and, and see if uh, the committee may forgive you for losing to TCU. Yeah. You don't want to make it three in a row. Remember they, they lost this game last year, 34, 27. They lost the big 12 championship game uh, against one another, 39, 27. So that would make it uh, three consecutive games that you drop to, uh, to Oklahoma. And again, uh, much like Jimbo Fisher gets hired at Texas A&M for $75 million, not just to win eight or nine, but to beat Alabama. Well, you don't get the job for the amount, amount of money that Tom Herman is getting at Texas just to be competitive in the Big 12. 
you get paid that to beat Oklahoma. You get paid that to win Big 12 championships, and you get paid that to get to the playoff. Uh, and, and look, as you pointed out, people have short memories. Uh, Mac Brown is a really likable guy and has already done some good things in North Carolina in a short amount of time. And yes, he won the Natty in 05 with Vince Young. But it was not going well uh, when, when Mac departed Austin. Okay, it, it was already starting to go downhill for whatever reason. Just like people, you know, for a while there, they were waxing poetic about how Phil Fulmer should have never have been fired at Tennessee. Well, go back and look. It, it, Phil Fulmer, his his stock started to fizzle. At the end, take nothing away from what he done it did in Knoxville. Uh, a lot of good things. He took Tennessee to a level that it hadn't been in a while. And, and actually, you know, made them competitive with those great Spurrier teams at Florida and then beyond. But it, it was time. I mean, it was just, it, I, I don't knock Tennessee, actually, for making that move. It's like I don't knock ten, uh, Texas for saying, Mac, it's, it's been real, but it's time. But the, there's clearly something wrong there at, in, in Austin. And, and I, I think I read a stat. They haven't had an offensive lineman, J.C., drafted in like 10 years. That's it, that's inexplicable to me. It's crazy because the state of Texas usually has really good offensive linemen, um, you know, to, to choose from and, and all that. And, you know, as far as star ratings and stuff like that go, they've recruited some guys that should be good, but they just turn out not to be good. And I'll give you something that's a little bit damning, okay? Talk about offensive linemen. Uh, who remembers the great Blake Brockemeyer? Do you remember oh, Blake yeah. Brockemeyer? Uh, where did he play I do. Co- college football? Well, I remember the name. I remember the name yeah. was a big deal. Big offensive tackle, played for the Panthers, Bears, and Broncos. Right. Played college ball at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, started, Is that the last guy? Started 34 years. No, no, no. I'm, I'm getting to my point here. Um, oh, okay. It may have been one of the previously last guys. All-American. I mean, one of those offensive tackles like Matt Stinchcomb. Where you looked at him when you when he's playing on Saturday, and you go, "Good God!" All right, I'm going to read you uh, two names off Alabama's class of 2021 college football recruiting commit list. Okay, um, top rated guy is offensive tackle Tommy Brockemeyer from Fort Worth, Texas. And you scroll on down, and then you get center James Brockemeyer from Fort Worth, Texas, a four star center who's the number one center in the country. So you got the number one tackle and the number one center in the country. Those are Blake Brockemeyer's kids, and they're going to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got one of the all-time Longhorn greats sending his kids to Nick Saban at that position. Something is askew. <laughs> um, and, and look, I can't figure it out. Uh, it's, it's weird. It's, it's almost – I mean, you know, if you'd have told me Tom Herman – would not only be struggling with games he should win, but, you know, he's losing recruits that are, you know, supposed to be layups. I'd have said you're crazy, you know, because yeah. Herman, Herman, uh, Herman landed a five-star D tackle at Houston. I mean, he's a great recruiter. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's just one that's puzzling to me because, uh, and some people don't like Tom Herman because he's, he's actually got a personality. Uh, I do. I mean, I, I think the guy, um, is is a, co- a good coach. I, I just I, I think it's more institutional because you keep cycling through, you know, these guys. And, and you know, Mac Brown didn't forget how to coach. Charlie Strong, you know, say what you want. 
didn't forget how to coach, although I think his tenure at South Florida ended poorly. Um, you know, guys like that, you know, Mac Brown at the end of his tenure and Charlie Strong should be able to win a certain amount of games. And Tom Herman certainly should. I think it's institutional in Austin. Uh, and, and I don't know how to fix it because I'm not close enough to that program. If I covered Texas, I probably would other than they need to, you know, get off their behunkuses and win and try to win out. Uh, and that cures a lot of ills, but you know, right now, you know, yeah, the offensive line's been bad. I mean, and it shouldn't be because that's, you know, you in the state of Texas, you have great offensive line talent. You're the university of Texas. You can go across the country and get offensive linemen. So, um, especially with Tom Herman's ties to the Midwest. So I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm very puzzled by that. And, uh, let's just say it's a huge one this weekend. I wonder, in Dallas. I wonder if there, if you're a Texas fan, if you're thinking, well, we, we've got more money than God. So we know we can get whatever coach we want. We can outbid anybody. I mean, remember now it's not just big 12 TV money and tickets and donations. They have the Longhorn network. That is I'd have to look this up. The Longhorn Network might net them more money annually than Notre Dame gets with their NBC contract. They got a sweetheart deal with the Longhorn Network, and that is just money on top of money on top of money. You know, that's that's like mailbox money. You've already got everything paid for, and you're in, oh, look at this. Here's, here's another few million. Um, so we know it's not money, but I wonder if they're thinking, you know what, if we could just get that NIL thing passed right now. Because... <laughs> I can only imagine what the autograph sessions at the <laughs> car dealership are going to go for, for Texas players when that actually goes through. And it is going through again, as I've mentioned a number of times, that would have been the story that would have dominated this off season had it not been for COVID because it is a, I know some people have tried to downplay it. I and mean, we had Andy Staples on, and I, I know, you know, he points out and he's not alone that, uh, don't, don't overestimate what these players will get on the free market. I, I understand that in theory. And I agree that, you know, you're the, the starting right guard of Texas. There's a lot of Texas fans that couldn't tell you who he is, but it doesn't matter. It's, 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 as I like to say, it's, it's artificial demand where you're going to overpay because you can, it's not because you know, because you have to, but it's not because that's what the market truly bears. It's, it's, it's not your typical uh, economic supply and demand curve deal. It's college football and it's do whatever you have to, to win and get to the next level and get an edge. Uh, and a school like Texas could certainly uh, benefit from NIL when it actually goes through. But those are just some random thoughts. I had some other random thoughts over this weekend um, I, I, for, first of all, kudos to a guy that, um, you know, let's be honest when this hire was made, I don't think a lot of people thought much of it. Okay. And I don't, I don't know who fans and people in general thought that Arkansas was going to be able to get, but kudos to Sam Pittman. That was a very, you want to talk about, uh, that's the opposite of the Tom Herman hire. The, the Tom Herman <laughs> hire, you know, it was full of pageantry. There were parades. There were fireworks. Uh, there were, I don't know, uh, scantily clad women popping out of cakes. Uh, everything <laughs> <laughs> was just like champagne bottles were being uncorked when that hire was made in Austin. 
when Sam Pittman was announced as the next head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks, it was, uh-huh. Is that, is that the O-line guy at Georgia? Oh, okay. Pit yeah. boss. Pit boss. Um, that doesn't mean it was a bad hire. And if you look at the market, you know, Lane and Leach were the, the, the names, and it remains to be seen how either one of those are going to do. And we saw Mike Leach humbled against Sam Pittman in a game that a lot of people just kind of overlooked, like it was SEC alt network and late at night. And it's like, okay, well, we know nobody can stop Costello and Leach throwing the football in Arkansas can't do anything right. And they've lost 20 consecutive SEC games. So that's going to be a laugher. Think again, the mighty Sam Pittman, Arkansas Razorbacks took it to Mississippi state and all that air raid and everything else. And all the charm and love that was going the pirates way after last week, boy, that quickly dwindled in a hurry, didn't it? It did. And, uh, you know, I felt bad for Mike Leach because they, you know, they started in on him on the teleconference about, you know, because what Barry Odom did. And, and I've been telling everybody, you know, Barry Odom may have been average as grits as a head coach at Missouri. Okay. Um, but when he was the D coordinator in Memphis under Justin Fuente, uh, people didn't notice that, you know, they'd go play Ole Miss or somebody and hold them to six points, things like that. Uh, he does. He's good at doing more with less, and you have to at Arkansas because of the roster situation they're in, um, and that defense, quite frankly, needed some toughness. So he had a great game plan. He rushed three and dropped eight, and so they they stop. They set it on Leach, and they're like, "Hey, Coach Leach, you know, is this the the you know the poison pill for the air raid? Is that people just have to drop eight or whatever?" And, and the issue wasn't that they dropped eight. The issue was that KJ Costello. I, I you noticed know, in spite of his 623 yards in the first game has seven, he's a turnover machine, seven turnovers in two games and Kylan Hill got hurt. Um, and this is taking nothing away from Arkansas, by the way. And, and Leach goes, well, we'd have been out of business 20 years ago if it were that simple. <laughs> and he's like, there's a lot of videos on YouTube that can show you, you know, how to uh, execute the air raid offense when you drop eight. <laughs> I was just like, man, that just, that stinks. But yeah, you think about that Arkansas job, Mike. And I thought, I thought Lane Kiffin would end up at Arkansas. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Cause his dad was at Arkansas under Lou Holtz, uh, 77 to 78, which I think is probably around the time Lane was born or a little kid. Um, and he's got some ties there. And I thought, well, they got to have somebody to get people excited. And then lo and behold, Kiffin goes to Ole Miss, which is a better situation roster-wise by a good bit. Um, and so you look around, you know, who are you going to hire? Um, yeah, I thought Skip Holtz may be a guy that Arkansas wanted to look at. But Sam Pittman, you know, no matter where he's been, he's been in North Carolina, he's been at Arkansas, he's been at Georgia, uh, Tennessee, no matter where he's been as an offensive line coach, he's been able to go across the country and recruit. Um, North, when he's in North Carolina, they got a kid named, I think his name was Hurst. Last name was Hurst. Um, got him out of Indianapolis, Indiana from Michigan, Notre Dame, and Ohio State, five star guy in North Carolina. Um, you know, at Arkansas, he had a kid from Minnesota, Frank Ragnow, which is now, uh, I think he's still in the NFL. Um, mm-hmm. Sam Pittman 
is a guy that recruiting wise has just for his position has been outstanding. And he's one of the best O-line coaches in the country. So, so you go get him and then you get creative with the coordinators. Well, Barry Odom, you know, like I said, maybe averages grits as the, as the head coach at Missouri, but you bring him right down the road to Fayetteville as the DC. That's a different ball game. Barry Odom's one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. Kendall Bryles. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, wasn't the answer at Florida State, but I don't know who in the heck is. <laughs> you know, as yeah, far as well, that was team. an impossible situation in and, one year that he was put into. And now he's making it work with some really good receivers, you know, young receivers they've gotten and um and all that. And uh that Chad Morris actually left him. Uh and then um, you know, gotten uh, you know, Felipe Franks to to do okay. And so, I mean, I just, I think that when you look at it from that standpoint, that's good. And I never thought, you know, Arkansas, there was some, some uh, casino that had the over under for win totals when the schedules first came out, the 10 game uh, and Arkansas was 0.5. And so, yeah. so was Kansas. I probably would have taken Arkansas on the over and maybe Kansas on the under, although you know, who would have thought Coastal Carolina would beat Kansas for a second straight year, which, by the way, Kansas is a disaster. But, um, you know, so so I think this thing with Pittman could work. Sometimes it's not. And if you look at it, we just had a national championship game, Mike, where Ed Orgeron faced Dabo Sweeney. Um, and, and then you look at who else was in the Final Four that year. Well, Ryan Day, who was promoted from within, you know, at, at Ohio State. Right. Uh, and Lincoln Riley, who was promoted from within. You know, all n- none of those four guys, you know, had ladies dancing out of cakes when they were hired. None. <laughs> but That's they're all want. they're all very good administrators. Um, in, in a certain sense, Lincoln Riley's more of kind of your Steve Spurrier style offensive guru guy, but he's got a good staff out there. You know, Ryan Day's also, I think, a talented play caller, but you know, he's just kind of picked up where Urban's left off, and hey, hey, he may. Ryan Day, from the day he started as an assistant at Boston College back in back in way back when uh, uh, recruiting and all, you know, people thought a lot of him. He's worked for Chip Kelly, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these guys were not, you know, the Tom Herman coaching search type of guys. These guys no, were not. But go get, let's go get Saban. You know, but most of those guys you mentioned, at bare minimum had a track record as a coordinator. The only guy that doesn't fit that profile uh, is Dabo Sweeney, who's the ultimate unicorn, you know, in, in terms of being a wide receivers coach, being na- labeled interim. Nobody thought he was going to get, yeah, that, that story is well, well documented. Orgeron, same way. Though. Now, keep in mind, Orgeron was never the defensive coordinator. Correct. Ex- but, except when he was the head coach at Ole Miss. He, he well, was that's what I was going to say. The, the, the difference in O is... And quite frankly, the reason why I was skeptical that O would ever A, get the job, and B, have success is because you talked to people at Ole Miss about yeah. his time there. It was an abject disaster. Yeah, and that, Dabo, Dabo had none of that. Dabo, almost, Dabo was was selling real estate like five years before he got the job. So it, 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 is, it is different. Right, but, right. But I mean, so the Sam Pittman – I mean, day – Well, I mean, it's just – but that's unusual an O-line coach going straight to an SEC head coaching job. So, I mean, I can understand why nobody was exuberant about the hire. 
I get it. He he's a recruiter, and they need recruiting, right? But and let's keep in mind now those players that you saw, those were recruited many of them by Chad Morris. I mean, that, yeah. that, those not like there were a bunch of true freshmen lighting it up for Arkansas in that game. That was a bunch of of holdovers from the previous staff. Yeah, and 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 I'll say this: Justin, and then they go on the road and they beat Mississippi State, which is crazy. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I mean, you know. You got the uh, – and, and I'll say this, Justin Watts, who was the, the receivers coach for Chad Morris, both at SMU uh, and at Arkansas, is a rising star. Um, and he's recruited a lot of those receivers you see that they have. Quarterback's been the issue at Arkansas. And then you got Rakeem Boyd at, at running back who's good. Quarterback O-line, you know, that's been a challenge. But, you know, hey, good for the Razorbacks. Yep. They, they've got um, – They've got Auburn this week, and there's been a lot of talk uh, about Chad Morris. So, uh, you know, we, uh, <laughs> we'll we see kind of what happens. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to that in just a second. I would just say the other thing that's been a challenge for Arkansas's defense, because, I mean, even when they had it rolling pretty good under Petrino and then Bielema had – look, Bielema was not a complete failure. He did have some – put together some good seasons – uh, brought in some good old linemen, brought in some good running backs for sure. He was going to be kind of the the counter to what everybody else was going to in college football, which was throw the ball forty something times a game. And you know, no, 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 we're gonna we're gonna knock them in the mouth. We're gonna we're gonna play Big Ten type football in the SEC. And if you're a running back and if you're an old lineman, that could be rather attractive. But they haven't been able to, to stop anybody for years, much like Ole Miss hasn't. Those two programs have been the schools that have, at times have been fun to watch. Uh, of course, Arkansas has been a disaster to watch on both sides of the ball the last couple of years. But, but no defense. And they hold Mississippi State and that offense that set every record imaginable against LSU. <laughs> today, they held them to 14 points. I never saw that coming. No, never I, saw that coming. I would have taken the over because, you know, you, you think, well, maybe Felipe Franks goes crazy this game and you think Arkansas's got good receivers, you know, whatever. But, you know, and, and look, Arkansas scraped by. I mean, it, you know, Mississippi State outgained them 400 to 275. Like I said, three interceptions from K.J. Costello, turnover machine, uh, and then Kylan Hill got hurt. You know, so there are reasons that – you know, Mississippi State lost, but I'm I, I, I know a lot of Arkansas fans. You've been out there many times. They're good people. Yeah. They didn't deserve what they've gone through. No, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for Sam Pittman, um, and, and, and going out and stealing a win like that's awesome. And you know, we'll see what they do against Auburn this weekend. Yeah. Well, speaking of Auburn, of course. Uh, and what was labeled the game of the week really wound up being somewhat disappointing. Uh, Auburn could never get its offense off the mat against what might be the best defense in the country. And Georgia scored just six points. Uh, and, and and this is, again, rinse, wash, repeat. I was just saying last week, maybe this is the year we actually go without Gus Malzahn being raked over the coals after a loss and people saying I've had it, I can't do it. I hate the offense. I, he's not the guy, blah, 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 blah. We go through this seemingly every year. And I don't know. I thought maybe this year might be a little different, not because of that Auburn was going to win the West or go undefeated or anything crazy like that. 
But I just thought, uh, even in this game, I thought Georgia would win, but I thought it'd be competitive. Really wasn't even that competitive. Georgia dominated this football game. They did so with, with my man who's, who's running Bushwood Golf uh, and Country Club, Stetson Bennett IV. Uh, 27-6 was the final. And so two storylines here. A, Georgia looked that good on defense and has certainly – I mean, Bennett did everything that Jake Fromm has done, uh, maybe a little bit more. Uh, so their, their, their offense is looking pretty good. And then Auburn uh, let the storyline begin again because it's not just that they lose games. It's that when they lose them, J.C., they lose them in such a frustrating way that absolutely enrages their fan base to the point where they quickly – turn on Gus and this has been going on for years uh but that but that again rinse wash repeat I mean look Georgia just did what Georgia does I mean you know that this is what they do under Kirby Smart they got hot on offense early they uh and then they just you know they weren't going to lose after that this is probably the best defense in the country it's going to be such a contrast in styles here when they play Alabama next week. And we'll talk about that game next week uh, with the best, uh, one of the best offenses in America versus the best defense. But yeah, Stetson Bennett, you know, played pretty well. Uh, you know, I, who knows if he'll continue to hold on to the job as JT Daniels gets healthy and ready to go. You know, they've got a stable of backs like they always do. 442 yards of total offense is nothing to shake a stick at. You know, Auburn's defense isn't what it was. Um, you know, during the offseason, Mike, I had concerns about Auburn because I love their running backs. But then you talk to folks down there, they're like, this offensive line could be terrible. And if you think about the years where Gus Malzahn has had a terrible offensive line, that doesn't work, especially if you don't have a quarterback like a Nick Marshall that has a lot of has wheels. And Bo Nix has some wheels, but they're not, you know, they're not wheels, wheels. And you're trying to run Morris's system, which is more pass heavy. Um, and I've just I've just been shocked. You know, you only put up 39 rushing yards. If if you're running that offense, Mike, and you can't run the ball because you can't block. You're not going to go very far, and it is going to be frustrating to watch. And Auburn, you know, unfortunately, they have these issues up front, and they can't get a push. Uh, and then you look on defense, and they're good, but they're not as good as they were. They were probably a very underrated defense last year. Uh, and you see trouble. I mean, I, you know, you look at their schedule coming up. Uh, there is a, some opportunity for them. You have Arkansas, then you go at South Carolina and at Ole Miss. So conceivably, they could win those games. Then LSU comes to the Plains. Um, so, so we may not even be talking about this right now, but there are some cracks in the old armor there. And, and, and it is a concern with how they played. Uh, and we'll see if they can, again, turn it around. But, but th- these aren't just, hey, Auburn played a bad game. This, is, this was an issue we talked about in the offseason, that they, they weren't going to be able to block. Uh, and, and you got great running backs and a great run game and all that. And all of a sudden, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on Bo Nix and the receivers uh, to make things happen, and, and it's just uh, it's one of those things where you got to you got to kind of wonder, you know, how good Auburn really will be. They may be one of those teams that you know was top ten preseason that's sitting there at five and five at the end, and they're like, well, it's an all SEC schedule, so 
whoopty, we had a good year. <laughs> so we'll see kind of what happens. Those are the dulcet tones of J.C. Sherbert. I'm Mike Morgan. This is J.C. and Morgan. We're going to preview the uh, games for what I guess will be called. Uh, I, I keep getting confused. Week six, right, is what we're looking yeah. at officially. Yeah. It's not six. every conference is starting the same week, so it's kind of weird. But week six, uh, we've got a few more other finals uh, to get to in just a second. I do want to point out as well, if you think that this podcast is sounding good so far, cause I thought I had an off week last week. My voice was a little rough allergies. We had some technical issues from my end. So I, I, I feel like this is going better as I, I self-evaluate. I want everybody to know out there we've gone, uh, what over a half hour already. We've done this entire podcast, each of us, with a fly on our head and, and unfazed, <laughs> absolutely unfazed. It goes to show you, you can still uh, put together a great performance, even with a, a random insect on the top of your head. Uh, I, speaking of guys uh, who, who can, are just unfazed, no matter what I, I've mentioned this guy before. Uh, and let me just, I, I like to give the full scouting report uh, on, on people tell the whole story. Stuart Wingo is not a good-looking man, okay? He's not George Clooney. Stuart Wingo is not an athletic man. I don't know if the guy's ever competed in sports in his life. Uh, Stuart Wingo is not somebody that is going to be a life of the party. He's not going to give you uh, great anecdotes. He's not going to do stand-up comedy. He doesn't do impersonations like JC does. He, He doesn't have any of those things. So why do I bring this guy up? Because he's going to save you thousands of dollars if you call him for a new mortgage or a refi. That's what Stuart Wingo does. He's just, everybody has a gift in life. Stuart Wingo found it and he's landed on it. And you folks are the benefactors of it. Some of you have already called Stuart Wingo and saved money and feel awfully good about it. And I encourage you to do the same now if you haven't already. Doesn't matter where you live. I've had him do my mortgages in multiple states throughout the years. And all it takes is one phone call, 803-319-1777, 803-319-1777. He'll get the info, find out what you need, and simply get you the best interest rate out there, which, of course, then in turn saves you thousands of money. That's Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank. Yeah, you can tell him I said it. He's not great looking. He's not athletic. He's not a funny guy. The guy just gets you results. 803-319-1777. That's Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank. Uh, around the rest of the SEC, you know, LSU blows out Vanderbilt. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. Vanderbilt is going to be in store for a rough year. And now that Arkansas just picked up a win, everybody's going to have Vanderbilt as the 14th team in the Southeastern Conference. That was like the battle going in. I think the battle going out is probably going to be Vandy 14th. Did you catch any of that game at all? Any thoughts on that at all? Sorry, I had my button on mute. Um, those of you that do Zoom. Vanderbilt's offense. I was, I was, I was muting my mic in case my dog barked during Mike's commercial. Um, but, uh, and then I started checking the ACC schedule. I was all, I was all kinds of distracted, but no, I thought Miles Brennan had another good game. Um, I may be – I've never been all that fired up about him, but, you know, he's really put together back-to-back performances that are, that are good. LSU's run game was good. 
Vandy's offense just, you know, they, they don't, they don't go very far. And I feel bad because Todd Fitch, their offensive coordinator is a guy that I think's, you know, proven it's just more of a personnel situation, but you know, LSU getting up off the mat, that's not a bad thing uh, for them. They, uh, and now they um, their game actually got moved from Baton Rouge to Columbia, Missouri. So they got Missouri this weekend. That's another chance to kind of get well before mm-hmm. they hit, you know, the Gators here in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, so I, I think Vandy, I think if you're looking at the bottom of the league now, it's, you know, and of course they Vandy, Missouri play each other and Missouri plays Arkansas too. So, you know, if you're the Tigers, you're kind of hoping you don't get stumped by Vandy two years in a row. And, uh, you know, you can maybe finish out of that, but, but those, those three teams look like they're kind of bringing up the bottom, but with Arkansas, a potential surprise. Yeah. I don't have much else to say about the only other game we didn't mention, which is Tennessee, Missouri, 35, 12, not much unexpected there. Tennessee, of course, has the big one against Georgia coming up. Yeah. And and the only, uh, go ahead. I'll say this about the Vols. I just, uh, I thought they looked a lot tighter in that game in terms of when I say tight, I don't mean like nervous, I mean, like, not as many mistakes against Missouri as they made against South Carolina the week before. That, that's yeah. obviously big going into this weekend. Crisp. Crisp, crisp. I, would, I would say. That's a better okay. word, Mike. Crisp. It's, this, this is what I do. I come up with random words. Um, uh, Cincinnati a winner. SMU over Memphis. North Carolina beats BC. We're going to rank teams. Oklahoma State blows out Kansas. Uh, Iowa State knocks off Oklahoma. We talked about the Big 12 and, and, and their woes right now. Clemson uh, beats Virginia. Uh, maybe not as handily as some thought, but handily enough. I, I think the big one, really, uh, we can put an end to any discussion of UCF being in a playoff. They lose for the second straight year to Tulsa. I was raving about their quarterback last week, Gabriel. He gets sacked six times. Tulsa has... They found the secret sauce on how to knock down the Knights and and crush the dreams of a playoff season. Now I think all the attention turns to BYU as the one Group 5 team, all right, independent in this case, that actually has a chance of crashing the party because I'm here to tell you there's not going to be a Pac-12 team and there's not going to be a Big 12 team. So uh, as, as usual, we wind up doing the, the quick, easy math, SEC, ACC, Big Ten, there's three. There's a fourth slot. Does it go to another SEC team, or does it go to perhaps a non-Power 5 school? I I know that sounds incredibly premature, and I'm not trying to be Nostradamus, but to me it's just that simple. Yeah, we'll see. You know, Pac-12, Oregon's really good on defense. I don't know. I, you know, we'll see kind of what happens there. Oregon I, had a lot of key opt-outs. I, they did. And, and I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing BYU make it because, you know, the, there is precedent. They did win the 1984 national championship. But, you know, they kind of had to piece their schedule together. And it's like Texas San Antonio, Houston, Texas State, Western Kentucky, Boise State on the road. Northern Arizona and San Diego State. Uh, and their wins so far are Navy, Troy, and Louisiana Tech. So, uh, you know, are you going to be able to justify an undefeated BYU over a one loss Georgia if that one loss comes to Alabama? I mean, I don't, I, you know, let's say, let's yeah. say Bama and Georgia split. Let's say Georgia wins in Tuscaloosa in a couple of weeks, but then in Atlanta, Bama wins. 
and they're both close games. I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't. They're I think not, they're both you hit on the key point. You hit on the key point. They had to hodgepodge their schedule. And so BYU, we know they take on all comers. They're not afraid of anybody. Oh, no, yeah. But in this case, they weren't able to do that. BYU couldn't schedule a Tennessee because the SEC has a conference-only schedule. BYU couldn't uh, get some of these other leagues at the last second. So they really, the strength of the schedule is just not going to be there. So, I mean, I, I, I leave the door open. I'm not closing it completely. And I, I agree with you. I think BYU would be a great story. But this is where BYU would be better served to be in a conference. Quite frankly, I think the Big 12 would be better served to have BYU. Just yes. saying, might want to might want to think about doing that, guys. Um, all right, we'll take a, a quick break, and then I want to go over the slate of games that we've got coming up here in Mighty Week 6. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. We're going to get to the SEC slate. There is a, a top 10 matchup, and I know these rankings are somewhat meaningless, uh, more than more than usual, quite frankly. But for the time being, we can bill this as a top 10 matchup. Saturday night from the ACC, Miami at Clemson. It's a top 10 matchup, but Clemson's a two-touchdown favorite, so that's not your typical top 10 point spread. But nevertheless, this will be intriguing. I mean, we finally get to see how much progress the U has actually made. I agree, and, uh, you know, I, I think that, it's kind of funny because we, we, we've talked about for years how Miami needed to update its offense. And it seems like every coach that went in there, I don't know if there was some booster that said, no, we're running a pro-style offense over and over and over again because it doesn't matter who the coach has been. They've, they've sort of been stuck in the 90s uh, offensively. Um, and Manny Diaz made that mistake with Dan Enos, who's a good offensive play caller, but it's just not – you know, when you, when you recruit who they recruit – and you're not getting the best of the best. Like Jerry Judy is going to Bama and Calvin Ridley's going to Bama and other guys are leaving South Florida, but you do have speed. Um, you need to be a little different. And they hired Rhett Lashley uh, and then got De'Aaron King. And boy, that that's worked better than I even thought. Cause I saw him against UAB the first week and they sort of kind of was like, I was like, ah, maybe this doesn't work, you know, it's, you know, it's not all about going fast anymore in college football, and it's not. But, it, it, and, and, you know, not so even much the scheme, but how King has been performing. You know, King was a little off against BYU. But, boy, that Louisville game and then especially Florida State, he's been on fire. This is the biggest difference maker at quarterback, I think, to come into Clemson, you know, or that could pose them problems since that Lamar Jackson game with Louisville back in 2016, was it? 
uh, where Louisville was knocking on the door at the end. So this is a huge game for Clemson. Uh, you know, I, I would be concerned if I were Miami a little bit about defense uh, and trying to stop these guys. Uh, I didn't think Clemson looked like itself really against Virginia, but they were never seriously threatened in that ball game. And Bronco Mendenhall is a good coach. So, uh, you know, give them a pass on that. I'm having a hard time saying Miami's going to win or take it right down to the wire, Mike. But I do think you're going to see some some good things out of De'Aaron King and that offense uh, against a Clemson defense that is young in some spots. But town very very talented, um, so I'm, I'm very curious to see the chess match between Lashley uh, and what he does with King and Brent Venables. Because if you remember correctly, uh, Lashley's got an Auburn background. A couple of years ago, I think it was 2017. Auburn comes to Clemson, and people think Auburn's going to win the game, you know, and because Clemson that was the Kelly Bryant year, and they weren't as great on offense to start with. Um, and Clemson wins 14 to six and Venables just absolutely shuts him down. Uh, so that, that's a chess match that I've got circled for Saturday night. Um, I'm intrigued. De'Ara King is one of the most exciting players in college football. Um, I, I, I don't buy into the Kyler Murray comparisons. I know they're height wise. That's, that's accurate. And they both can run very well. He doesn't have the arm. That Kyler Murray did. He's not the passer uh, that Kyler Murray is, but, he can certainly make plays at the collegiate level and a lot of fun to watch. So that's actually, uh, that's a, that's a very intriguing matchup. That'll be at night prime time. Now to the SEC. And I mentioned there's a number of uh, intriguing matchups here. We'll say that the, the, what, what I believe are the two best uh, for last. And we'll start with some of the others here. Uh, Missouri at LSU. That'll be one of the three, SEC games kicking off at noon. Yeah, and that one's actually at Missouri now. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. You know, um, I'll also say this. uh, They did move Alabama and Ole Miss back an hour and a half. That kickoff set for 630 Central, 730 Eastern in Oxford. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I I think it's another chance for Missouri to get – I mean, for LSU to get well. Um, You know, Missouri has not shown me much in two weeks. You know, that Alabama score was misleading because – I think Nick Saban sort of knows he's in an NFL-type situation. So they got up 28-3 at the half in the opener, and Bama sat everybody. You know, so Missouri did some things against Bama's second and third team. Uh, and then last week against Tennessee, they fought hard. They didn't really give up. But, but man, you know, it, it just – they they can't – they don't go very far on offense right now. Uh, and I think with the way LSU sort of structured this year, you're going to have to score some points to beat them. Um, because they do have good receivers and Miles Brennan is playing well, so I'd I'd say LSU wins and probably covers that one, uh, even though it is in Como instead of in Baton Rouge. Don't lose this game if your name is Will Muschamp, South Carolina Vanderbilt. Well, I always say that there are no such thing as must wins, but this is a must win. Um, you know, and I think last year on the podcast we had like better not lose. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and that's the thing. Better not lose this one. It's you know, right now it's it's a tough time in Columbia. I mean, South Carolina three and twelve, three and twelve, Mike, in their last fifteen games against Power Five opponents. Uh, they just need a win. I mean, Vanderbilt's the last team they've beaten. They beat them last year. Uh, Gamecocks have not lost to the Commodore since two thousand and eight. Um, that is the longest streak in the SEC East. 
Everybody else has lost to Vanderbilt more recently than the Gamecocks. Uh, and, and I think if you, if you watch their first game against A&M, that's a little scary. Now, if you watched them last week, it's not as scary. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, no fans up there. So it's kind of a bizarro type of deal. Um, you know, and, and, and there could be a monsoon. So, you know, if Will Muschamp, if it's a monsoon and the Gamecocks like fumble five times because the ball's slick and Will Muschamp loses this game, I will be convinced he is the most unlucky coach. And I don't even believe in luck because I think you make your own luck sometimes. But just the, the crap that happens to him, Mike. I mean, you know, you look at how South Carolina's played the first two weeks. Uh, you know, had some good moments against Tennessee and Florida. They made a lot of mistakes. Well, South Carolina originally was supposed to open with Coastal, East Carolina, and Missouri, and then at Kentucky. Right. So they could have started 4-0, but oh, lo and behold, in your fifth year, a global pandemic hits, and so you have to open with Tennessee and Florida. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. you can't write a book about this stuff. And they're, and, and look, I would just tell Gamecock fans – uh, I'm not. I'm not pumping sunshine here when I say this. You lost to two ga- two teams that you were supposed to lose to in the first two weeks. Uh, not not much has changed in the way of expectations. And I, I again, I'm coming at it from a national scale. I don't know what people are saying in Columbia per se, but you were an underdog for a reason against Tennessee. And certainly an underdog for a reason in the swamp. You were competitive in both games. You lost both games. Now, the, the time I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm watching the the clock run on the that final lengthy drive when you're down two scores, and I, I'm not sure if I totally understand the mo on that one. But for the most part, uh, they've done they've played well enough to win the games, but they lost to two on paper, better teams right now. That being said to take, to take it back to a, a segment that we did last year as well, JC, that we probably need to bring back when everybody's playing, you lose to Vanderbilt. Will Muschamp, you're on DEFCON one, my friend, mm-hmm. you are on DEFCON one. And if you don't know DEFCON one, Google war games, <laughs> and you'll find out you want to be, there's only five DEFCONs. You want to be on five, you really don't want to be on one. Agree completely. Agree completely. Kick off there, uh, noon, SEC Network, Vanderbilt Stadium in Nashville. There you go. Uh, Arkansas, Auburn, could could the pit boss make it two in a row? Look, I, this is one where I, I don't think so, uh, um, you know, but I can't rule it out because, look, Arkansas stopped a better offense last week then they're going to face against Auburn. And I'm basing that on two games, you know, personnel wise, Auburn's got some difference makers. Like I said, uh, probably more than Mississippi state. Maybe they got more future NFL guys on their offense, but that's a better offense that Arkansas stopped last week. So, you know, they go into Jordan Hare stadium fired up to beat their former coach. Who's now the OC there. Certainly. Uh, I don't think it'll happen, but I can't, I can't rule that out. And that's more because I, after watching our Auburn the first two, I'm deeply concerned about Auburn and their ability to move the football on a consistent basis. And that's what happens. That That's how it ends up that you lose to an Arkansas 
or you lose to a team you shouldn't is when you can't move it because you got issues up front and some team just ambushes you and you're sitting there and, you know, they get a break here, break there, and all of a sudden they have more points in a low-scoring game. I think for some Auburn fans, it's hard to hear issues up front. Like, we don't seem to ever talk about Alabama having issues up front. We don't seem to talk about LSU having issues up front. We don't seem to talk about Georgia having issues up front. So how is it Auburn has issues up front? Well, you know, it it gets back to some personnel losses and and, and some recruiting. I mean, it's just they – in Auburn, if you notice, this is not something new. Every three or four years, they put out a stinker of an offensive line. And, and it's hard to explain. It's just really hard to explain. You're right. But but they, they do. You know, this, the, you know the, you're, you're, every third or fourth year, you go in it and you're like, man, you know, Auburn's offensive line, you know, <laughs> they, you know, there's some issues there. And uh, this is just one of those years. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, you hope for the best because, you know, I look at this offense and I, I see – you know, four backs that I really liked coming out of high school. I see Schwartz and Stove and William, Seth Williams is a stud. And, you know, I, I, I like Bo Nix as a quarterback. And, you know, you sort of look at it and you're like, why, why can't the offensive line be better? Because this would be a heck of an offensive team otherwise. Mississippi State, Kentucky, you know, this is nearly a pick 'em game in Lexington. If the Wildcats lose it, they're zero and three. This was a lot of people's darling pick this year with a healthy Terry Wilson, but it has not gone the way of Big Blue thus far. Yeah, and look, you know, you can't. Sometimes that SEC darling, when you're talking about, l- l- let's talk about who the SEC darling's been in the offseason for the East the last two preseasons. Well, two of two thousand eighteen. It was South Carolina. Everybody thought this is the year, you know, Jake Bentley's back to running this new offense. Then they get waxed by Georgia, never really recovered, ended up seven and six. Okay. 2019, it was Missouri. Everybody's talking about Missouri because, oh, Kelly Bryant's coming in. You know, they're going to be great because their schedule's easy and all that. And then Missouri ends up six and six and Perry Odom gets fired. You know, so I think of what the last two years have told us is don't buy the hype on the SEC East darling. Okay. The, the, <laughs> the, the, besides the Tennessee, Florida's and Georgia's of the world, whatever team everybody's hyping in the off season in that next tier, that next group, uh, don't buy it. Don't just don't buy it. It'll probably be another one of those teams that ends up playing very well. You know, just like last year, it was Tennessee that turned it around. So um, with those, I was going to say those are great examples. And you know what they all have in common? The quarterback expectation did not meet the reality, right? Like Bentley was poised to have a breakout year because he already showed signs of being a quality SEC quarterback the year before. Well, it didn't happen. Uh, Last year, Kelly Bryant, quite frankly, got exposed. And Kelly Bryant, to me, did not have an SEC quality arm. I mean, there's a reason why. Uh, Dabo was willing to take the heat and take a guy who had a great record as a starting quarterback uh, and wound up going to clearly a better option than Trevor Lawrence. And meanwhile, you had talent around Kelly Bryant. I did one of his games, JC. I mean, he couldn't hit an open receiver all game. And when I was talking to their announcing crew, he's like, like, Mike, this is, this is what we see every day in practice. He's just wildly inaccurate. Uh, and, and so, and now Terry Wilson, and I love Terry Wilson. Again, 
he is a great kid. I've sat down and, and spoken with him, and, and he did some good things in that game. You know, he certainly put up some numbers and, and ran for a lot of yards. I just don't know if Terry Wilson is what a lot of people think he is. I mean, you had people talking about Terry Wilson as an all-SEC quarterback, and I'm just – I'm not sure he's that player. They have to win being a great rushing team, which they ran for, what, 400 in that game against <laughs> Ole Miss? Yeah. Uh, they have to do that, and they have to be salty on defense. And I, the defense was a, a bit of a letdown last week. And then how you have a player, again, you're flashing deuces on what should be a touchdown, and a couple plays later you fumble the ball. That, to, in a lot of ways to me, changed the complexion of that game. Yeah, I mean, Rodriguez over 100 yards, Wilson over 100 yards, and Rose was the the, the guilty party there. See, I wasn't going to mention his name. Well, I'll just mention his last name. But, you know, Kentucky. <laughs> all right, so if you're an Ole Miss fan, I think you're loving the win. You know, you're, you're loving the Lane Kiffin personality and, and, and wardrobe selections. But, man, your defense, you got to be worried. I mean, look, Kentucky, 559 yards. Kentucky, you know, yeah. Kentucky's a, a ground them out, pound them out team. 559, they 408 rushing yards against the Ole Miss defense. I, I, Bama, man, I don't know. You know <laughs> I don't know about this weekend. But, you know, I, I, I think Kentucky's issues have been kind of defensive because I, I think you look at that Auburn game too, and we saw how Auburn struggled mightily uh, in that game against uh, Georgia. And they sort of struggled against Kentucky as well. They got a turnover or whatever. But Bo Nix, you know, three touchdown passes, 233 yards. You know, I, I think that if there is an issue with Kentucky right now, it is it, it is defensively. And that's not good news with Mississippi State coming to town. Uh, I'll say what's going to decide this game, Mike. It's cliche. I know it. Turnovers. Turnover margin. Turnover margin. You know, whoever turns the ball. K.J. Costello cannot be a turnover machine against the Wildcats. Mike Leach going back to his old stomping grounds where he was OC under Hal Mummy yeah. back in the late 90s. Oh, those are fun teams. Craig Yeast, Keo yes. Sanford, Tim Couch. Um, that was good stuff. You know, with all due respect to, to uh, Bill Curry, he had Tim Couch on the bench his freshman year guy. is like the biggest recruit in the history of the program. He's got Tim Couch on the bench. I think he's starting like Billy Jack Haskins or somebody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he fired Steve Spurrier as his quarterback's coach at Georgia Tech, too. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Bill, Bill Curry, man. I mean, you know, and I like Bill Curry. I, mean, I love I, I, Bill I, Curry. I love that guy. But, man, he, those are two. I bet he wish he had he had, had those two. Yeah. Back. Uh, yeah. Uh, he also couldn't beat Auburn uh, when he when he got the head coaching job at Alabama. And, you know, the, the, the rest is. Probably just, should have never left. Yeah, Georgia Tech's his alma mater. He probably should have never left Georgia Tech. Yeah. I'm still convinced if you ever watch NFL films, uh, which I grew up uh, just watching hour. I couldn't get enough of it. I, I'd come home from school, and while a lot of kids were eating, uh, were watching cartoons, I was eating Rice Krispie treats and watching Steve Sable and hours upon hours of NFL films. Back then, that's ESPN didn't have the rights to a whole lot of stuff, so they ran all of it. And you could learn about the history of the NFL just sitting and watching that show. But I swear they they locked Bill Curry in a room and said, "You are not leaving here." for the next 
365 days, and we're going to ask you about every player and every play in the history of football. And you're going to do it on camera in front of a microphone. And Bill said, well, hell yeah, I'm ready for that. And that's what it is. And, and Bill Curry is quoted on everything. And wow. he does have some great stories. Like if I'm, if I'm emceeing like a touchdown club or something, you know, and I'm looking for a, a guest a guest speaker, Bill Curry is one of my, my top go-to guys there. Doesn't mean he's a great coach, but still a great storyteller nonetheless. Uh, okay, let's get to the games now that I do think are marquee for sure. Again, high noon, Florida. Texas A&M Gators on the road, a six and a half point favorite against Jimbo Kellen Mond and the mighty 12th man. Yeah. Unfortunately, the 12th man is uh, um, probably not as uh, loud as they once were. Uh, You know, I just, I I have trouble sitting here wondering or or, or contemplating how A&M defensively is going to match up. You know, I know that, Obviously, the, the defense played well against Vandy. You had that game. I know they have personnel. Um, but, boy, they, they, just, they, they were just completely overmatched against Bama. Florida does not have Bama personnel. Like, they're not quite that elite, I think, on offense. But they're close, Mike. They're close. You got Kyle Pitts. Uh, you know, Kadarius Toney is coming on. Had a big play against South Carolina where he broke three or four tackles and took it to the house. Uh, their running backs are more than capable. Dan Mullen's offense is outstanding. I mean, A&M's going to have to dig deep defensively, deep, deep, uh, and try to stop these guys. Uh, and, and, and maybe Kyle Trask cools off a little bit, and, and they have a discombobulated game, which happens. And, you know, if, you're, if your defense – you know, Florida's defense was better against South Carolina – but, you know, the Gamecocks still had a big edge in time of possession, and they, they had trouble getting Carolina off the field. I, I don't know if that was more to do with Mike Bobo dialing up first down play call after first down play call, or it was just, you know, Florida's defense isn't as good as maybe it could be. Uh, and it is a Todd Grantham defense, so it's always feast or famine. But, you know, if you're A&M, maybe you think you got a shot here. Maybe Mond and, and Jimbo could dial up some plays. Maybe Florida's not as good. But I think it'll have to be that Florida gets – you know, slows down on offense. A&M's able to slow them down uh, and, and, and limit them more so than they were in the first two games, you know, for the Aggies to have a shot. Kellen Ma needs to, needs to be that guy that they've, they've wanted to see now for a while in College Station. So I don't think you're, I don't think you're holding Florida to like 17 points in this game. So Ke- Kellen Ma needs to be prepared to put forth one of the best games he's had in his four-year career. The only three-year starter in the SEC, he has to ball out. Uh, he's got a great tight end in Weiermeyer. He's got some unproven yet uh, very athletic receivers, and he's got two running backs that are, that are great catching the ball into the backfield and obviously can keep defenses honest by handing them off to those two guys. So uh, Texas A&M, to me, should be competitive in this game should have a very good chance to win the game whether or not they are and whether or not they do we'll find out uh at a, we'll know the answer about three thirty on saturday speaking of three thirty, right about when that game ends the game of the week on cbs tennessee at georgia a couple of two and oh teams georgia 12 and a half point favorite what are you looking for here well, you know, Tennessee's going to have to not make mistakes. I thought they cleaned up some mistakes against Missouri. You know, they're going to have to get the you know, Tennessee. The thing about them, they they do have a really good offensive line. 
Um, and Eric Gray and Chandler, the, the backs, uh, you know, they're going to have to establish, try to establish the run, attempt to establish the run, which is easier said than done against this Georgia defense. Uh, and Garantano is going to have to limit his errors too. I mean, I think Jim Chaney's a good enough play caller to he's probably got three or four that he's ready to dial up on Georgia. Um, but you know, Tennessee's issue is in my opinion, defensively, I mean, offensively, they're going to have to stay on the field, find a way to scratch it out against what I think is the best defense in the country. Should be a fun week three in the SEC. Uh, it kind of tells you the state of this program that we're at the tail end of this podcast, and I'm just going to give it a mention in passing. But primetime Saturday night on NBC, Florida State is at Notre Dame. This is the kind of game when the schedule makers put this together. Right? Oh, my gosh, this is TV gold. We're going to get a great number. It's going to be a great game. Florida State stumbles into South Bend as a 20-and-a-half-point underdog. They were down two touchdowns in the second quarter to Jacksonville State. Mm. Welcome to Seminole football here in 2020. Yeah, and yeah, the thing about Notre Dame, I'll say this, they hadn't played in a while, you know. They, they were they beat UCF or USF, uh, and then they had a game at Wake postponed, and then they had an open date. So so they hadn't played in a while, but Florida State's just, you know, not very good. <laughs> Notre Dame is very good. They're probably chomping at the bit to get back out there. And so I think the Irish will pretty much roll um, in this one uh, and get to, you know, a 2-0 conference record. You know, it, it's kind of elimination Saturday in the ACC in a, in a certain way because the top four teams in the league and the standings are all playing. Clemson's playing Miami, North Carolina is playing Virginia tech, you know, so Notre Dame has a chance to ascend by beating the, the Seminoles who, you know, I used to say, joke around and say, well, Florida state will beat NC state. Cause Dave, you know, my uh, NC state, you know, <laughs> Dave Dorn is not, you know, on the top of my coaching hot board, but NC state's two and one and they beat a good pit team. So I just don't know where the wins are going to come from. Mike, after that Jacksonville State game, I, I honestly, I mean, who are they going to, who can we legitimately say they're going to beat, you know? And I would, it's going to be awful on December 5th. It gets cold sometimes in Durham, North Carolina on December 5th. If you're a Florida State player and you had one and you're up going up there one and eight playing at Duke December 5th, <laughs> that's just going to be a brutal experience all the way around. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just kind of looking down the road, because, I mean, you got Notre Dame, you got North Carolina, you got Louisville, you got Pitt, you got NC State, you got Clemson, you got Virginia, and then at Duke. So, I don't know. I, I feel really bad for Mike Norvell uh, just in terms of, the situation he's in, I don't feel bad that he's making the money he is, but uh, yeah. I, I, you know, you feel kind of t- it's tough because that Jacksonville State almost went another direction, almost. Yeah, yeah, it's. I, I hate to keep using the word toxic, but it, it's it's been toxic in Tallahassee, uh, and and that that riddle is not going to be solved until personnel in the way of players changes. I, I just I believe that it's hard to look at that game. Like I can remember 1993, Florida State, Notre Dame. Mm. Remember that was the Charlie Ward Heisman Trophy year. Oh gosh. They they lose to Lou Holtz in Notre Dame. They lose. And all at that time there's no playoff, so you lose a game, you might be done. But then Notre Dame goes and loses to Boston College mm-hmm. and opens the door for Florida State to get in the title game 
Of course they do. They win it. And uh, Bobby Bowden wins his first national championship. But it used to be Florida State Notre Dame. That's a you can't miss that game. That is game of the week material. Now it's just like another game that Notre Dame is expected to to win handily. I do think Florida State's going to trip up somebody in the ACC. Uh, I, I I just think talent will will right. stumble into a win somewhere. I'll, I'll get back on the they're going to beat NC State bandwagon just okay. for you, just for you. Because, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Dave Dorn will find a way to lose to Florida. He'll find a way to lose. Man, Dave, Dave, Dorn, right. if Dave Dorn ever listened to this podcast, he's going he's gonna to be like, that, that J.C. Sherbert guy. I just hate yeah. him. <laughs> no, he, he's going to have a hitman coming after you. No I'm doubt. sure he's a nice guy. I just, you know, I've just never never been overly impressed. And then when he did the laptop thing a couple of years ago, I thought that was kind of cheesy. And then. He turned down Tennessee, which I, you know, if you're a Tennessee fan, you're probably really happy about that. And it's just, I don't know. I, it's never been a, never been a Dorn guy. That's okay. That's that. It, it makes for an entertaining part of the podcast for you to yeah. to let that off your chest and uh, <laughs> unleash the wrath for Coach Dave Dorn. Uh, as we wrap things up, JC, any final thoughts, any final words of wisdom, the man with the deep background sunlight and the dark head that I'm looking at, what, uh, what are your final thoughts? Uh, just, it's a big, you know, there's some big sec games and I think Mike, you know, with the way this schedule set up this year, every week, you're going to have a top 10, top 15 matchup in the sec. There's just no getting around it, but in the ACC, which is kind of the, other conference we talk about it is kind of an elimination Saturday you're looking in that league you know and not so much elimination but you're you're looking for some separation at the top because remember they don't have divisions this year it's just like the big 12 teams that finished one and two play again in Charlotte so this could be the first of two games for Miami and Clemson uh, but but I think Miami Clemson's huge and North Carolina Virginia Tech is huge too because the the Hokies have a habit of going into Chapel Hill and winning um, badly a lot sometimes. So if you're North Carolina, you, you've had one game against Syracuse, you're impressed and you had a game canceled because Charlotte had the COVID issues. Then you went up to Boston college. Remember I gave a shout out to Boston college a couple of weeks ago. Um, they gave North Carolina all they wanted. North Carolina survived. The Hokies have been kind of impressive in their two games. So that's a big one. That's a big one in Chapel Hill uh, in terms of who's going to slide into that second spot you know, behind Clemson, provided Clemson does win uh, in the ACC. So that's what – and then in the Big 12, it's just, uh, you know, all all eyes, Mike, are on Oklahoma, Texas, because I think it's like watching a train wreck or whatever. We're, we're wondering who's going to – which one of these guys is going to 0-3 and are or, or going to lose another one, because I think Herman would be 1-2 and two if he lost. But Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Kansas State, TCU are big games. K-State, TCU is a big game. Always is, yeah. I've had a chance to call a couple of those. Yeah, and, and, yeah Gary Patterson has some connections to Kansas State from back in the day, and it's uh, he's from Kansas, so it's it, it's it's a uh, it's a big one. It's a big Look, one. So we'll see what happens. Lincoln Riley is not on, nor should he be on any kind of hot seat. Uh, no, that's ridiculous. People, are <laughs> that's ridiculous stuff. Overreacting. So I mean, if Oklahoma loses, look, it's a disappointing year, and and you just gotta you gotta take it on the chin and, and wait till twenty twenty one. If Texas loses, that's a different story. Uh, that that is going to strum up a whole lot of talk 
And sometimes talk is cheap, but uh, other other times it's not so cheap. And and I just there is going to be a cloud uh, over Austin for the rest of the year. And every time Tom Herman and the Longhorns get tripped up, it it just you know how this goes. It just it snowballs, and it finally gets to the point that even people that are in his court are forced to make the tough decisions. Um, not saying it's fair. Usually it's not, but, but that just seems to be the reality right now surrounding UT in terms of, uh, the landscape of, of their coaching situation. Anyway, uh, I think we covered just about it all and we actually went a little bit long, but that's okay. Why not? Yeah, it happens. It's a lot of fun to talk and, uh, Definitely want to encourage everybody to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcast. Uh, we have listeners that listen but don't necessarily subscribe. It doesn't cost anything to subscribe. Also, go rate us five stars. Leave us a review. That's how we get ranked and we expand our audience. And we certainly appreciate that and appreciate all the, the thousands of listeners each and every week to JC and Morgan. Definitely appreciate that. Number 121 is in the books, and we'll be back with 122 next week. Folks, enjoy a terrific slate of games this weekend in college football. For JC, it's Mike. So long.